0: Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. John chapter 6, verse 56. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Last week we listened to our Lord teach that He Himself is the true bread of God. From heaven, and as we heard, sort of the same verse repeated this week, that he, the bread that he's come to give us, is his self-offering of himself on the cross. That was John chapter six verse fifty-one: "The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh, which he gave on the cross on Calvary." And what's repeated three times in that first portion of what's called the bread of life discourse is that what he's talking about is believing in himself and believing in the kind of manner as eating, right? The same way in eating, we take something that's out here and we bring it into ourselves for nourishment. Our faith in Jesus Christ should be like that, that we actually reach out to him and in faith bring him and his righteousness and himself into our lives through faith. And in so doing, we receive eternal life now now. And forever. We learn the, real- the realness and the depth of what Jesus is teaching, um, that he was speaking far beyond sort of a, a preacher's metaphor in the response that the Jews have out at the gate, right? And this we heard in our reading this morning, verse 52. The Jews disputed among themselves how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, I think they asked the wrong question of how. How is um, very rarely a profitable question when we're talking about the things of God, because as the prophet Isaiah said, his ways are higher than our ways. How is not going to open up a lot of boxes for us. But the fact that the Jews asked this question reveals that they were receiving sort of the seriousness and the depth of what Jesus was teaching rightly, because when they're disputing, Jesus doesn't correct them, as he sometimes does in the Gospels, and say, no, 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 you've misunderstood, let me explain. Right? He doesn't say that, he doesn't back down. What does he do in our Gospel reading today, which follows immediately after the Gospel we heard last week? He doubles down on what he's teaching. He goes from speaking um, several times in the language of bread, and living bread, and his flesh being that bread, And when the Jews express sort of trouble at this statement, he then shifts from the language of bread to a much more, he actually goes more intense and more visceral, as we hear in verse 53, very truly, very truly, don't just hear those words as sort of something Jesus says all the time, although he does say it all the time, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. So the Jews were disputing about a metaphor a la- and a language of bread and living bread. They were having trouble with it, but <coughs> there isn't as much sort of built-in trouble with this image of bread. I mean, who doesn't love a fresh loaf of bread, right? Like the teaching is still like, okay, you know, you could see them sort of hanging on even as they're kind of troubled. But then Jesus kind of goes to the, very, the next level, as it were, unpacking his meaning for them to be very clear, And it gets really intense, right? It's actually, for me, it's sort of graphic, even listening again to the gospel as we just heard it. How many times he says, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And then he sums it up and says, you have to eat me at the end. And the word there for eat in the languages we have it in the Gospels, it's uh, the Greek word, it's the word you use when an animal is chewing on something kind of ravenously, right? It's not just sort of like, eat. Right? I mean, it's, it, it can be translated feed or even devour or gnaw. I mean, there's a sort of, like Jesus is really I'm um, teaching something very intense. He's clearly going beyond the world of just metaphor, right? He's troubling his listeners even further. But it brings us to the heart of what I wish to preach on this morning, Um, I said last week that this would be sort of the second half of last week's sermon where the gift God has given us in Christ Jesus is his self-offering on the cross when he atoned for the sins of the whole world out of his mercy for us. And in the first half, actually the first three quarters of the Bread of Life discourse, verses 32 through 51 of John chapter 6, Jesus is hammering the point home for all of us to hear for all time we receive this by faith. We receive his mercy by faith. We believe in him. And at the very end, the last quarter of this teaching that Jesus has given after feeding the 5,000, verses 52 through 58, Jesus goes on to teach about the sacrament that he would institute on the night before he died. Right, So the night before he gives himself as the bread of the, bread of the world, for the life of the world, He institutes a meal with bread, right? Holy Communion. It is in receiving Holy Communion as Christians coming with faith, in receiving Holy Communion, that we actually get to fulfill and obey the words our Lord tells us in our Gospel this morning. right? When He says, Eat my flesh and drink my blood. At one level, in light of all He said about belief, we get to do that in the spiritual realm, in our hearts, sort of in the day-to-day. We get to feed on Jesus Christ, but he's given us something, a, a sacramental meal. The word sacrament is the Latin word for mysterious, a mystery, mysterious meal, in which we get to do actually, in real space and time, what we can do sort of um, only in a different and more spiritual way sort of the rest of our Christian life. You know, we, we, when we say we eat Christ Jesus in the midst of daily life, we're feeding on him by faith. When we come to this table, we're actually feeding on him in a, a, a more substantial and profound way. And I think, you know, it's something which, in the church today, we're united around so many things. Thanks be to God. Pretty much every Christian in this country could say the Apostles' Creed and say, Amen! Like we get the fundamentals of the faith across Christian denominations and this is a unity. I mean, it's true Christian unity. There are some things in the church today which people fight about and dispute over and this is painful (laughs) and it's difficult and so what I'm about to say is something that sometimes Christians quarrel over. But as I have sought to understand the scriptures and, and studied in addition how the Church has always received these verses of John chapter 6, what I put forward to you is, I believe the true teaching of the Church, and yes, you'll find faithful Christians who disagree, but before God, I believe this is the best way to understand these verses of John chapter 6. That when we receive the bread and the wine, the bread and the wine, it really is His body and His blood. And I believe that, not because of any theory or sort of doctrines of men, but because our Lord, on the night before he died, in Mark 14, paralleled in Matthew 26 and Luke 22, took bread, and this is the words we repeat every communion, right? He took bread and he said, this is my body. And the Greek word this, it means this thing. This thing is my body. And He took a cup and he said, this is my blood. So that's why we repeat those words of Jesus in the midst of communion because we believe together with the historic church that it really is his body and his blood. God the Holy Spirit clarified this profound teaching through the words of St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 10. How does this fit together, the whole picture? He says, the bread that we break is a participation in the body of Christ. And the cup of blessing that we bless is a participation in the blood of Christ. That word participation, for those of you who study some of the really meaty words of Scripture, it's koinonia. The bread that we break is a koinonia with the body of Christ. So when we gather and the minister prays over the bread and the wine, the one who gave his body on the cross 2,000 years ago actually gives his resurrected body to us in the form of bread and wine. This is a hard teaching. We see it in the Gospel account. The very next verse after the passage we heard says, says the disciples said to him, Master, this is a difficult teaching. And then five verses later it says, many disciples left him at this point. So the very first time Jesus teaches these things, lots of people left, which means they understood. He was saying something, to use kind of a 70s idiom, far out. (laughs) Jody's got me. (laughs) Um, It's something that, um, again, to a natural mind, is impossible to wrap your head around. But what we see in the Gospels is that the the resurrected body of Jesus is not bound to the confines of what can be comprehended naturally, right? He shows up in a locked room. He appears on the road to Emmaus and yet is disguised and then vanishes. He can eat fish, but then he ascends into heaven and the clouds veil him. Like his body has properties that we don't know anything about but the first glimpses we get in the Gospels. So the church has always been called to sort of come to this claim with simple faith and say, "Okay, Lord, you said this is your body. I believe what you say. And to sort of not quarrel about it, actually. We sung a beautiful hymn last week, which you sung beautifully, by the way. Um, And one of the lines of that hymn was, um, what the truth, capital T, Jesus himself, what the truth has spoken, that for truth I told. If he says it's his body, I believe. And that is the ascent of faith. To say, my mind can't comprehend it. I don't understand how simple bread could somehow mysteriously spiritually be a participation in the offering of Christ himself on the cross 2,000 years ago, you know, 10,000 miles away in Jerusalem. But I believe it. I believe that Jesus is actually giving his resurrected life, his own body and blood through this meal to me. The question of how it works won't open a lot of answers The question why I think is much more compelling to the believer. Why would Jesus institute a meal and teach on it in John chapter 6? What's this about? Again, we can't ever sort of just leap into the mind of God. I don't know the full answer why, but interpreting the sign itself. What we see is that Jesus' will and his heart to give himself for us didn't sort of and when he gave himself on the cross. That was the ultimate once and for all sacrifice for all the sins for all time. No question. But his loving heart to give himself to us continues to this day, to this very day, August 19th, 2018, in that he desires to give his own body and blood to us, his faithful people, that we would afresh receive his mercy, his own Life And and not just sort of his gifts, but his very self. This is the verse that I began with. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. He gave us communion as a mysterious, powerful way in which we actually get to have the living Lord himself come into our lives. As he would teach in a few chapters, recorded a few chapters later in John 14, it is his desire that he could make his home within us. And communion is one of those profound, mysterious instantiations of that promise. If we believe simply, if we believe with the witness of the historic church, the simple words as they sit on the page of the Bible, right? If we just take John 6, you've got to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And Mark 14, this is his body and his blood. In a simple way, we recognize that it is our Savior himself, who comes to us in communion, comes into our lives again at communion. Believing this, what awe should we come to the table on Sunday mornings? Right? This is, I mean, it's so regular for us, but I heard a preacher once say, imagine you heard sort of a news report that once in your whole lifetime, say 30 years from now, God himself was going to come and give himself to us under the form of a simple meal, you would clear your host, you'd be waiting for that day forever. And yet it is our privilege as Christians to experience that almost as often as we like. Every week we get the chance to come to Holy Communion. So just because it's regular, doesn't mean we should. It, the regularity should not eclipse the awe of what we participate in in Communion. And, and not just in the approach, but... And this is something I feel like the Lord's been teaching me more and more in this last year. is um, How should we live our life differently when we see with the eyes of faith what is transpiring in communion that we've received Christ into us, that the Lord himself has dwelt within, dwells within us and abides in us. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I abide in them that each of us, after communion, and in a special way, is a living temple of God the Son. A living temple of God. Um, I think it was St. Cyril of Alexandria who said, I mean, just to take an instance, how should we guard the mouth through which the King has entered? Meaning, you know, our speech and our acts, and this is Paul's teaching, right, In, in God's teaching through St. Paul in 1 Corinthians, if Christ lives within us, if we are his temples, how could we ever be so ungrateful as to then take this temple and use it for wicked ends? Right? This is a privilege and a joy and, and really a source of... You know, I think we can start to capture what the prophets are always exhorting us to, this sense of joyful dread about the presence of the Lord. Right? If he, who he is in his majesty has come to dwell in us mysteriously through simple bread and wine... I should live with some profound gratitude and joy that he's given himself to us again. He's brought to us his own self-offering. Um, and a dread of, wow, what kind of life should I live in response that Christ has come to really live within me. I-, I think I spent the first half of my Christian life thinking that the language of Christ living in us is like a metaphor. It's not a metaphor. Christ really does come and abide in us. He really lives in us. And this is a tremendous uh, and wonderful fact, which I pray through the midst of our liturgy, through your own meditation on John chapter 6, which we're going to continue on Thursday night, starting this week, um, that he would open the eyes of your hearts to this wonderful reality more and more. And that communion, with every passing Sunday, every passing celebration of this holy meal, it seems to me to be more and more the very anchor of our pilgrimage on this earth. That it's here that we come to be, receive Christ and with Christ comes nourishment. and right, This is a bread picture and strength and conviction and joy. And because it's the Lord, the body of the one who suffered, patience to, to continue suffering when God has permitted it. This holy table, this gift Jesus has given us is our pilgrim food. That's why one of the things which prompted the whole bread of life discourse is this sort of question about the manna in the wilderness, right? this miraculous food that keeps you going when you're journeying through a desert. When we understand communion rightly, that's what it can be. The Lord is here, whether we believe it or not, but if we're closed off to the truth, we can actually sort of slow and fumble the profound gift God wants to give us in giving us this meal. But by receiving it with faith and trust, by discerning the body, as Paul would say in First Corinthians 11, we can be powerfully fed for what is often a difficult pilgrimage. Amen. Amen.